Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change. All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm really excited today to have a chance to have a conversation with Jo Stanley. Jo, welcome to the conversation. It's so lovely to join you. Fantastic to have you. Now, let me kick off by running through a little bit of a bio of you. I know so many people in our audience are going to know you very well um, and probably feel like they know you very well because you've been a part of many of our lives for years. But there are people internationally who may not. So let me just step through um, who Joe Stanley is. So since being discovered performing stand-up comedy in a dingy pub sometime in the early 2000s, Jo's become known for her warm and honest style of content. She spent 12 years in breakfast radio, taking two shows to number one, and then in 2017 left FM radio. Jo now hosts the House of Wellness TV and radio shows, is the creator and presenter of the House of Wellness Wellness podcast. That was a mouthful for me to get out. She (laughs) writes a regular column for the Sunday Life magazine, is the creator of Play Like a Girl Kid book series, and is an outstanding speaker and MC. So in between, Jo's building her startup, Broad Radio, which is Australia's first radio network for women by women and a platform that will amplify the full diversity of women's voices and stories. Jo, you're a bit of an inspiration for the Brave Feminine Leadership team. Uh, we know that you're a patron for Wellsprings for Women and the Lighthouse Foundation, and you're passionate about gender equality, justice and mindfulness. So once again, fantastic to have you join us. Joe. I am going to hand straight over to you. Mm. And for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, let's kind of go back to where it began, who you are, and let's start navigating through your journey. Okay. Um, Where it began. (laughs) It's a funny question, isn't it? Because I have spent... let's say the last 15, 20 years, really exploring who I am. I'm a student of, I mean, look, I'm a self-help book addict, I guess, and an addict of um, therapy and a sort of a student of human behaviour and certainly my own understanding of who I am and how I connect with the world and how I can be better at being me. So when you say where it all began uh now that I've done 15 20 years of that kind of exploration I guess it began when I was you know a child (laughs) how do you say when it began (laughs) what's what's your you know where did you grow up what what sort of influenced you did you always dream of getting into radio or what was kind of going on well, I mean, I, I just fell into radio by accident, as my as my bio said. I was doing stand up comedy and um, had never considered doing radio. I had dreamed of being an actor, so I started act, studied acting after I left school, and um, not surprisingly, couldn't get work because I don't think I'm a very good actor. And <laughs> so, but it was sort of the uh, early late nineties. What was it? Mid nineties and. In Melbourne at that time, it was like a comedy boom. So I had been in, you know, comedy reviews at university and had really loved writing my own comedy. So instead of trying to break into acting that way, I went down the standard comedy path and was working with my then comedy partner, Jodie J. Hill, and, um, yeah, the head of content at Austereo in Melbourne, which is sort of at... It was still really our main commercial radio network. Um, he came along and saw us in that dingy pub and offered us like a development show on a Sunday night, which was really, I had no real idea of how extraordinary that opportunity was at that time. And we did that for about a year and then we moved, we went straight into a Monday to Friday weekday shift, which again is just unheard of in radio. I still, I look back and think, mm, I don't know how that happened. That was just 
I, honestly, I believe it was that it was my path. I believe that I was given that opportunity because I remember the very first time the microphone switched on to this audience. Of, we were 9 a.m. to midday, which was a pretty big audience and very female targeted audience. And I remember just thinking, what a gift to have a voice because no one has a voice, right? Mm-hmm. And how can I use this? And I think the reason I thought that was because to go back to where it all began, I suppose, I was raised by a single mum. My father died when I was four. So I was raised by a feminist, an activist and an optimist because she always told us that to believe that you can change the world, you know, you have to be optimistic and you have to be willing to fight. And We saw her, um, you know, she went down to Tasmania and, and protested against the the. Um, Tasmanian what was the dam the Franklin Dam yes Um, you know we saw her uh, really care about things that that mattered to her and to what she believed was the community and the world and um, you know was was pretty connected with environmentalism back then which not everyone was in the 80s so she kind of taught us that you can fight very fierce feminist insisted as um, there was me and two sisters so a house full of women, didn't really have any male role models at all. Uh, and she insisted that we knew how to change a tyre, knew how to change a, a washer on a tap, um, you know, just really kind of uh, inspired us to take charge of our lives. And she was an English teacher. So um, just instilled in me a love of language and words and that words and ideas can change the world. So all of that came with me into radio and I probably wasn't even really aware of its impact until sort of a few years in and I was really struggling with the anxiety that comes with a daily grind of putting a show on and insisting you know the insistence from your employer that it's number one yeah um and that comes with I mean I can't it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life the greatest thing as well probably but um that's that that in that moment I was like really I was struggling with a lot of anxiety and and and, um I had to think about who I was and why I was doing what I was doing and it was the first time I really assessed I mean essentially I mean and I teach personal brand essentially what I was doing was understanding how does this world see me well I need to know how I see myself Mm -hmm. and I did a lot of work around purpose and and values and really understood the gift that that upbringing gave me of understanding well when the mic goes on who am I speaking for who am I actually advocating for what is the how can I best use this in service um which now I realize is rare (laughs) not everybody speaks that way and thinks that way but um after 20 years in the media I've realized that's quite rare so that's incredible I mean firstly what a gift from your mum and a gift Mm -hmm. to have kind of grown up with that sort of inspiration um, I don't understand the world of radio at all, um, and but I do think you know most most of the people I speak to are sort of executives in the corporate space, and one of the things that I think that they can really um, listen and and kind of learn from is from day one you you may have put a lot of thought into it and all those things which is incredible but you really came across as sort of vulnerable and authentic from day one and I think that's what you know, from my perspective is what sort of really captured the hearts of people listening. And we talk to leaders a lot about doing that and capturing the hearts of their teams. How did you, I mean, did that come naturally to you to be like that? Or, um, you know, it's it's very brave. Uh, I think, um, well, firstly, and I do a lot of speaking to you know, as you say, and executives in the corporate world who obviously very few people have worked on breakfast radio, but my experience is no different to your experience in that you have to show up every single day and bring the best of you to that environment in that you are responsible for the impact that you create for your team in that I was speaking to, excuse me, I was speaking to listeners, but that's no different to customers, clients, stakeholders. Um, all, All of my experience is exactly the same it's just that I was doing it with a microphone in front of me on a fairly public platform um so I guess I initially maybe didn't bring that vulnerability but I felt after a while 
it was just, it's the only way you can be uniquely you. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in radio, if you're not individual and you're not, you don't stand out from the crowd, you die essentially. So um, it was just the easiest, in the end, the easiest option to, was to just be me. Also, I, I, my style of comedy is to be very self-deprecating. So it was just easier to, if I was looking for laughs, and let me tell you, after you've done even three months of Monday to Friday breakfast radio, you run out of ideas very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. So you would just go to anything. And when you're willing to make, uh, not make a fool of yourself, but willing to um, sacrifice your dignity for a laugh, <laughs> um, there's vulnerability in that. Uh, but I also realised that, uh, particularly for women, we seek ways to understand that we're not alone. Mm. And, and that's what radio is. Radio is there to let their audience know, as a collective and individually, that we're not alone. So am I right? I saw a statistic, um, and, and maybe it's a bit dated, but, you know, the population in Australia is sort of just over 50% female, and yet my understanding in radio is that still only a quarter of the voices, just over a quarter of the voices in radio are female. Would that still be accurate? Yeah, 37%. 37. Of, of, and that's more in commercial radio than if you were to listen to an ABC or, you know, Radio National. But it's not just the voices you hear on air it's the producers it's the content directors it's the ceos it's the leadership teams um and women generally get middle management but rarely go above that it's getting better absolutely and i know that you know lots of well pretty much all of the networks are putting um programs in place to really trying to encourage women to stay and to move you know to, to sort of be ambitious and to work up the tree but i guess it's um For me, the biggest concern is everything is put through a lens that complies to what the content director and the producer want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so even though when I was on Fox FM, which is um, still is the number one station for women 18 to 35-year-olds, that, uh, you know, I was that. And I would bring ideas and they were like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that today. That's not what women want, women want to hear. And like, <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> they do. And don't be fearful of these, these conversations. Um, and that used to frustrate me enormously that, you know, you'd get pulled up. Like the, the amount of times I got told off for using language that oh, women don't want to hear. Yeah, you know, I think women are happy to hear the word clitoris like because yeah. we have one yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you it's what we talk about with our girlfriends so anyway it's it's um it's shifting but it's still that that statistic of 37 percent that's only I think three years old so okay, okay. Yeah. so um talk to me before we move on because I really want to get on to broad radio and the mm. seeds of that and and the sort of you know, purpose and passion behind that. But before we go there, I just want to put the lens over your experiences when you were in radio, because not understanding the environment, I don't understand what it was like being a, a young female in that space. Um, well, I was there at a time when it was still run by cowboys. Um, so I can't speak for what it was like now, right. but for me, um, you know, you were, it, it was very subtle, I think, the gender inequality that I was facing on a daily basis because I was a co-host on a breakfast show and so you kind of had this sense that you could do what you like and we were a very, when, when you're on a breakfast show, you leave sort of at 11 o'clock at the latest. So you're kind of leaving as the rest of the office is waking up and and sort of of coming alive. So you're in a bit of a bubble and you feel as though you're, um, you know, you feel as though you're you're sort of very powerful in that space. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, well, they can't change the words that come out of my mouth. So in fact, I am quite powerful, right? However, you would have feedback like, um we would rather you didn't laugh like that because people find your laugh shrill could you change your voice so that it's not as high pitched um the 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 market research we're getting is this this and this and having done now a lot more research and study around gender bias 
I wish I could have said at that time, yes, but who are you researching? Who is the audience that you're asking? And those people are already biased because they've only ever heard male voices. Mm. So when you come to me and say, oh, the audience can't tell the difference between the two female voices, they can't tell which is Jodie and which is Joe. And I know that Judith Lucy and Cass Cook are the same feedback. And I, I wish I could say, but that's because you've never put two female voices together before. And you're, you're, you're actually asking a biased audience. Um, even to the point where, I, you know, when the Harvey Weinstein thing happened, and I, I, would, I looked at the films that the generations of men and women watched in our teens, which were all made by Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's shaped the men that you're asking. That shapes their attitudes to women and women in powerful positions. So already that's not, that's a flawed research. And it would be things like, you know, um, oh, you, you'd be in a meeting with a man who would not look directly at you he would answer all of the questions and comments to the men in the room, but not right. actually speak directly at you. Or, I mean, everybody's had these experiences. Like you'd bring out, you, you'd come up with a creative idea and then a guy next to you would say the same thing and they'd go, oh, great idea to the guy. And he'd be like, am I invisible? What just happened there? Did I speak out loud? But then, you know, it's, that's, that's everyone's experience. Yeah, and gender deafness, so there's a term for that. Um, gender mm. deafness is, is alive and well. So, you know, I hear so many stories about that still. So let's move to broad radio. Firstly, where did you come from? How did this kind of hatch now that you're founder and CEO of broad radio? Mm. Um, well, it hatched gradually. It was a very long birth. <laughs> I mean, it's still really being birthed I suppose but the idea itself took a long time as well in that I had I'd, I'd been sacked from my last breakfast radio show which I loved I love love loved that show and it was devastating because we'd only done it for two years and we were we were in number one and doing really well and anyway um, radio stations make strange decisions and often don't tell you why um, so that was sort of I, was, I guess I was kind of in a grieving space and uh, I had fortunately been booked to go to Vienna to speak at a radio conference called Radio Days. So I was going there after I'd been sacked, which is a bit weird because yeah. everybody knew I'd been sacked. But I was like, you know what? That experience doesn't... It, firstly, everyone gets sacked in radio at some point. Um, I've been sacked three times now in, in my career and, you know... Congratulations. It's, it's, <laughs> no. Um, so that's fine. But secondly, it, it, being sacked doesn't change the experience and the knowledge that I have, right? So I go to the um, conference and it was amazing and it re reignited my love of radio. But still I was sort of in this weird space of like, who even am I now? Why did that happen? What am I going to do? How am I going to get a job? Because <laughs> there are not many around. And I went over to Berlin to see a friend in a week in Berlin. And um, I, have you ever been to Berlin, Melissa? No, I've never been to Berlin. It is the most, I mean, I was only there for like 10 days and it was extraordinary the people I met because from artists through to curators, through to marketing people, through to um, like every single person that you meet, so creative and free of thought and just sets goals and does it. Like they just go, why? Why wouldn't you do it? And in that 10 days, I had three different people say to me, well, you know, asking about my experience and why I was there and all that. Um, and then they'd say, well, why don't you just make your own radio station? And I'd laugh and go, you're mad. What, what are you talking about? And then it just kept, kept being said to me. And then I came home and I spent sort of six months trying to understand how I would get more work and seeing all of the men that were on the show that I was on getting more work mm. and I wasn't. And I'm the only one in that team that had two number one breakfast shows under my belt. Yeah. The others didn't. And I'm like, what, why are they getting work? And then I sort of started trying to be a listener of radio again and not finding the radio I want to listen to. And I was diving into podcasts and women 40 plus are the fastest growing podcast audience, as you would know, <laughs> as a podcaster. Hello, um, hello everyone. Welcome. We love you. Um, but I was like, okay, so I love podcasts, but it's not radio. Radio is immediate, that day, in this moment. You know, today on radio, we'd be talking about Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. And we will. And we, and we will. But it, it will happen down the track when you yes. hear it. And also, 
in radio, you open up the phone lines and you have a te- you have like an immediate temperature of the city and how people are feeling and you're connecting with others. And, you know, I love radio for that. And it's not dying. As a medium, it's not dying. In fact, it's thriving. So I'm like, why isn't there radio for women who are in, and I'm going to say 35 plus because that's how the marketers carve up the yes. demographics. But really it's about life stage, about, you know, women who are in this space where our children are perhaps needing us less but our but we're still caring for them they're teenagers or whatever or even younger but and our parents are elderly so we're caring for them our careers are either at a crisis point often we're being pushed out of our workplace we're feeling more and more invisible or on the flip side our careers are booming but we're exhausted and feeling that sense of I was supposed to have it all and right now I don't even know how to go for a walk in the day you know like it's you know massive it's a very unique time of life so then I went uh well I, I I knocked on a lot of doors I went straight to Osterio they were very interested in it we were talking for a long time about it but then COVID hit oh. and I was sitting at home in lockdown and I just went mm, I'll just do it myself I'll just bloody do it myself which is what all women do don't we Absolutely. <laughs> are doing it. I'm like give it to me I'll just do it so, my very um, first series, um, my very first series, Joe, was birthed in exactly the same period of time. So, you yeah. know, I'll just get on with it. So during lockdown. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, COVID. Thank you, lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I basically borrowed the technology, the live streaming that gamers do just as a model, as a way of hitting an audience that's free. It's not where we're going to stay. We like we live stream on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch currently. But, um, yeah, we're building an app this year so that it will be internet radio but delivered via an app so you'll be able to listen to it wherever you go in the same way you listen to any other radio. So, um, and broad radio then for anyone listening. Yes. Yes. Jump on board and find that. When you and I first met, you spoke to me about as part of um, pitching it, you you were out there sort of pitching for funding initially. And I think I saw something in, I think you were in the financial review late last year, and I mm. saw a comment in there that talked about um, reflecting back on that pitch, perhaps your clarity around what you were pitching wasn't sort of clear enough at the time. Talk, talk me through that kind of going out and seeking funding, because I know you then went for an alternative, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, so in the end, we did a crowdfund raise last year. It was not an equity crowdfund. It was a, what they call the rewards-based crowdfund. So effectively donations. And we raised $57,000, which was, to me, you know, it's very overwhelming for me to imagine that people believe so much and want so much for the idea to happen. Um, But, yeah, of course, I started really early on meeting with um, different kinds of investors. And, you know, I'm I'm fortunate that I have a, a, a profile. So, an email from me hits the mark. I'm really lucky there. And um, along the last, it's been 18 months now, of sending those sorts of emails and reaching out to people, uh, every single time I get a response, I think to myself, wow, I'm, you know, I think about women, uh, Aboriginal women, women of colour, women who, are, you know, refugees, asylum seekers, all people who aren't with the experience that I have. Yeah. How would they get through that? How would they get through the door? I just think it's, yeah, it's a massive, massive problem. And something that really drives me, I think, because down the track I hope to be a door that I will keep open for everyone um, when I'm in that place. Uh, but, I, you know, so I got the meetings, but it, clearly it was firstly too early stage. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, I think as, a, as an idea, it's not, easy to understand from the point of view if you're not from radio if you're not from the media you can't see how you can monetize it perhaps in and scale it to a point where you know those sorts of investors want 10 times kind of return and I get that um so I felt like well it's too early I'm still creating a proof of concept uh this isn't even my MVP I wouldn't say it's it's kind of pre-MVP So that's why I went for the crowdfund. Now we're going to build the app and that will, that will be the MVP. Um, And I think we'll potentially go down another crowdfund raise, but an equity crowdfund raise. 
rather than try and fit in, I just don't think the mould, it's just the model isn't necessarily right for everyone. Mm. It's interesting, Joe, because the audience that you're talking to probably control most, most household spending. Oh, yes, yes. That was my frustration because, let's face it, you're mostly meeting with men and they know that. Yeah. But they... And, and there are millions of articles online about the fact that the female dollar is undervalued, that it's a trillion-dollar market, that um, the opportunity is massive. Uh, and niche marketing, obviously, is, is a big thing now. People understand I'm going to give you a pinpoint accurate audience. You're not going to be advertising on commercial radio to let's say you might be hitting 500,000 people but you don't know who those 500,000 people are with that uh, that you know ad that you're running on sort of high rotation access to my audience I can tell you exactly who they are mm. that kind of power I think is really valuable and yes they are the ones that are whether it's cards you know cars or candles they, they buy everything so Absolutely. yeah for me this case is extremely strong and to the point where I've met with some people who aren't investors. <laughs> they were like, you know, there's money on the table here. I can't believe that uh, the commercial radio stations haven't done it yet. My fear is they will, of course, before I can actually hit a audience size that gives me the power to compete with them. Yes. But what can you do? I, I, I'm sort of just going on in good faith that I believe what I will create will be unique enough circling right back around to where we started the conversation about you know if you're not unique you're dead so mm. you've always had that going for you so you know it stands you know it holds true that that you know that should um, absolutely be in your favor joe i love what you said um i mean yes you're lucky to um have uh, well, it's not luck it's hard work but you know your name lands when you send things um and I love that you're using your voice for other people. But the question I have is even sending those emails, I'm sure that that took courage for you to press send on a couple of those first emails because you were kind of stepping into a space that was new to you. I am an extremely fearful person, mm. actually, Melissa. I'm like, I'm a very, very risk-averse person. Um, and I would say... Uh, I, that that's probably one of my greatest things to manage is that I just, you know, I'm scared. I'm yeah. scared all the time. And um, that, that puts you in a slightly heightened space that can be, can tip over to anxiety, but most of the time it's kind of a low level sort of hype, you know, a bit more cortisol in your system, I suppose. Um so yeah, terrifying, and and particularly when we launched and told the world we were doing it, and I think there's there's a lot of um, people in the industry who I don't know, mostly I, I guess they're supportive of me, but perhaps they're not, and that's scary. Um, I get a lot of uh, let me say very honesty on social media, so. I find social media really anxiety-inducing, but it's my job. I have to be there, and that's hard. Um, and a lot of the time I sort of uh, find myself having to spend an hour or two just with the doors shut, and, you know, being really protective of my mental health around that. But I also believe it, it, it's not – broad radio particularly is not me. Like I have a very clear – um, visualization of it and and partly the reason I ended up pressing play on it was because I meditate every day and I kept having this image mm -hmm. of broad radio like a, a it was like an entity in my hand it was this beautiful glowing sort of entity energy and uh, it doesn't belong to me it belongs to the women that need it it belongs to the women who feel isolated and not understood it belongs to the women who are um, not reflected in the media because women just aren't, particularly women over 40 or women of diversity. Um, so it doesn't belong to me. So because I can separate myself from broad radio, I guess that fear, that answers my fear and that it's now my responsibility to do the best I can with this for the women who need it. And that, that then sort of 
protects my own fear. I mean, the fear is always there, but it doesn't matter. It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses. Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. You tweeted something that makes so much sense to me now in the, in the context of that conversation. And I'm just going to quickly reflect it back at you because I then kind of want to ask how you do manage it. So this was late last year. And the tweet was, we are not our fears. We are our strength, our bravery, and our commitment to ourselves. We are the holding of our own hands when things fall apart and the quiet words of affirmation when we begin to rebuild. Do you remember retweeting that? <laughs> Like I'll write a column and people will say, oh my gosh, I love that column. And I'll read it back and go, wow, I don't, I know I I wrote it. I know I did, but I don't remember exactly that experience. So, um, How do you hold your own hand? How do you hold your own hand in, in those kind of scary moments? Well, um, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I naturally go to metaphor. That's, uh, I guess language and imagery is um, very useful to me. And as I say, I, I meditate every day and sometimes throughout the night as well because I'm not a great sleeper. And like most people, if you, uh, if you tend towards anxiety, it really likes to visit you at night time. Yeah. I call her night woman. Night woman will visit me often. Um, so I visualise, I literally visualise myself um, Often it's my child self and it, I visualise holding her, you know, mm-hmm. actually comforting and holding her and holding her hand and, and telling her that um, you're loved and safe and there is nothing that can harm you. I, I guess I feel an, a just innate faith that no matter what happens, I'll be okay. It's So it's, it's sort of um, the conflict between the thoughts in you and your actual self, your true self. Um, so my true self comforts the thoughts and the and you know that sort of anxious version of me. Uh, so yeah, I, I literally, uh, you know, I visualize doing that. Um, and in and around that, it's things like as well, you know, making sure that I exercise and eat well and spend time with my daughter and and my husband and people who I feel really comforted by. Hmm. So, um, speaking of your gorgeous daughter, um, I know she's just started high school and you shared on broad radio uh, yesterday, I think it was, a gorgeous little text message that she sent you um, on her way home from school saying, I made a new friend today. <laughs> and don't, don't we all know <laughs> beautiful feeling? Um, I just wanted to ask, you know, on this journey as founder and CEO, what, are there any moments that stand out that you may have felt the same way she felt sending that text? Like any moments where you might have been prompted to shoot a little text off to someone to sort of share the moment? Um, well, I guess it's generally around connection and belief, which is, I suppose, the same thing that my daughter felt, really. Um Moments like we, we have an angel investor and when they came on board, so it's a dear friend of mine and her husband, she insisted really that she uh, support us as angel investors and I was like, oh, are you sure? That feels, mm, I'm scared, I'm scared about that. <laughs> so, but it was that connection and belief and, and that they really want us to succeed um, and the same thing during the the crowdfund raise there were some moments where um, either large amounts or even and a very dear friend supported us in the crowdfund raise and she um, yeah her when I said to her I, I, I'm fearful that I can't deliver what you want from me and she said it's not about even the result it's it's the the it's about the trying, you know, I'm pinning this to your trying and that you 
are working so hard for something that we all want and that I want to do for you I want to support you so that you know oh, that always makes me quite teary but even even when you see in the crowdfund someone has given ten dollars and I I can't understand that like that's their ten dollars and it's clearly a ten dollars that they probably had some other intention for and they gave to us yeah those moments have been really special um your network and you know your network is so important and you know we often you know I often talk to executives about you know building building a good network but a network based on deep relationships and sponsors who will genuinely support you um you know and talk about you when you're not in the room nicely mm. um and all those <laughs> sorts of you know, I just think that story about your angel investor and that conversation they had, um, I mean, that's a true sponsor. Mm. That, that's an incredible support to, you know, and incredible faith in, in what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that's why I, I will continue to meet with, you know, traditional investors and, and, and VC investment is something we are heading towards, no doubt. But I, I kind of see, like I say, I'm, I kind of look at the world through metaphors and um, it's kind of like dating, right? So I am not going to partner with someone who's not the right person, but you have to kind of meet with lots and lots of people to find the right person. And you'll meet a lot of people who don't get you or you don't like them or the energy is wrong or whatever. But yes, you, you have to, I see it as at some point I will find the one. At some point, I'll find someone who's just so right that they're excited to be with us, we're excited to be with them, and we'll bring out the best in each other in the same way that you would when you're looking for a life partner. Yeah. I can't believe how often in these conversations dating comes up. I just had a little smile <laughs> because I had one series where, you know, a really senior executive was not comfortable networking, just hated that whole small talk sort of space. Um and so she actually set herself a goal of going speed dating. So she went sort of to three rounds of speed dating. And um, by the end of it, she was a champion, champion small talk and networker. And then in this series, there's a, a gorgeous founder from the US who's got a business called Gardenuity. And Gardenuity is about matching plants to people. So you enter your details, you enter your details on a site about what sort of lifestyle you live. Are you the sort of person that's going to water plants or not? Um, that would be me. Yeah. Um, and they match. They match plants to you, and it's all based off of kind of dating. Um, you know, swipe left, swipe right. This what is the right gorgeous plant. idea. I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. Uh, you know what I love about that? It implies that everyone can be a plant owner. Yes. Which I, I, I'm the same. I kill anything you know that has come inside the house. Thankfully, my husband keeps them alive. But I love that there's hope for me somehow. <laughs> there's hope for you, trust me. So, Joe, can I switch gears for a minute? You and I are having this conversation on the same day, so everyone will have the benefit of knowing how the conversation went by the time they uh, watch us or listen to us. But Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame are addressing the National Press Club today on the back of um, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison's apology yesterday. Can I just get your perspective on on this, your sort of feeling, I guess, for um, that, you know, this whole space in Australia right now? Mm. Well, I mean, it was just so interesting that we had only been on air last year. We launched the 5th of January was our first ever show. And so then 26th of January came around and Grace Tame was named Australian of the Year. And then it was, I believe, this week last year when Brittany Higgins um, spoke publicly about her experience and so broad radio's development in its first 12 months I can't separate it from the conversation that those two incredibly courageous women started and it's not that the conversation didn't exist before then and certainly when Rosie Batty was made Australian of the Year the conversation around violence against women and children really elevated and she was incredible in that time. I know Rosie to great to to great um, harm for her, really, in a lot of ways. It wasn't an easy thing, and I'm certain that there'll be times when Grace Tame, I hope she has space for herself now to really uh, repair and relax and rejuvenate after these last twelve months. But this, but but yes. Yeah, so 
because Brittany and Grace have been so incredibly courageous as young women, incredibly young women, like I look back at when I was in my 20s, there was no way I would have had the courage to speak so publicly about an experience so personal to me in defiance of power, like holding truth to power in that way, knowing that whatever you say will be railed in the press, social media, wherever you are. So that in itself is extraordinary. But also we on Broad Radio have had the benefit of having an entree to that conversation, which it sounds sort of strange because there shouldn't be a reason. Like you should be able to speak about gender inequality, sexual abuse, sexual assault, harassment, bullying, all of those things should be, you don't need an entree, you don't need a reason to speak about it. But when you're creating content in the media, sometimes you sort of need a, so this was in the news, so then we're going to talk about yes, that. Yes, it just, it just, um, It just, I suppose, allows you, uh, you know, a raison d'etre, I suppose. Like it, so for us in this last year, the fact that, you know, the March for Justice and everything that came from it, it's been unbelievable. Like so, I've been so grateful that the conversation has been there. Um, I've been so inspired un, and in awe of the strength of those women and the fact that the amount of women have come out publicly and shared their stories mm-hmm. has also inspired me But and, and I have a great deal of awe and respect for them but and gratitude because obviously without the conversation, nothing will change. So that in itself has been amazing and what a year. And also now I look around and I see your Louise Milligans and your Laura Tringles and your Amy Ramakis and, you know, Lisa Wilkinson and, and women who are, we talk about, you know, the, the, the gift of having a voice. Those women have an incredibly loud and powerful voice. All of, and there's many more beyond those. That they're leading like this now, this movement, and I really feel a change in the air. I hope I'm not... I'm a bit of a Pollyanna, I have to say. <laughs> like I say, I was raised by an optimist. Um, and I do actually, To I can hear my mum's sort of voice. She, she'll, she would say, uh, yes, but we've felt this before, you know, because she's a feminist from the 70s. Yes, but we felt there was a movement and a shift and it feels like sometimes we've gone backwards. But I think, I really hope, I feel like we all as women and men now see the work that needs to be done it's just in broad daylight now yes and it we can't surely go backwards we can't walk away from this now no and I'm with you Joe. I'm such a naturally such an optimist and I, I feel like there's a real energy about it and to mm. your mum's point um you know even if every time those steps occur there's there's a shift you know, even if it's a, a, a shift and a step forward, you know, I think it's um, it's worthwhile. Can I ask? Well, I mean, I, like, I just, to, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about the fact that my daughter is 13 and the shift is that now she's being taught in school what I would teach at home, which is consent, boundaries, all of those things that I think for our generation we weren't allowed to publicly say hey dude don't touch me yeah that's that's not okay um you know so that's already yes I think there is a shift I've I've answered my own concern now (laughs) Grace Grace Tame not smiling Mm. well there's an example right um and I think that there was that conflict that public outrage about the fact that she didn't smile versus the people who supported her including myself the fact that that incredible conflict existed I think demonstrates that we're on the verge of change Mm. you know there are people who are angry about the fact that she didn't smile perhaps they're the ones who are hesitant to see us move into a space where actually women are agency they have agency over their smile for god's sake like seriously I'm excited by that I was so um I'm someone who I have resting bitch face, Melissa. (laughs) And and particularly as I get older, but even younger, people would walk past, smile, what's wrong with you? And I'd be like, oh, nothing's wrong with me. I'm just 
sitting here in my own thoughts, in my own space. I'm a very introverted person, very shy. So if I'm sort of out and about, I tend to kind of just be in, in, inward. Um, and so I'm really kind of related. I loved wearing a mask because no one could see that I was just yeah. sitting there doing yeah. my own thing with my face. <laughs> but so I guess I felt extraordinarily angry that people felt they had a right to yeah. say how the hell she might respond to someone. She mm. shook the Prime Minister's hand. That is as respectful as you need to be. She, the social norms are that you would greet someone. She did that. Yeah. Um, it would be inauthentic for her to be all smiles there. I feel I felt optimistic about the fact that, you know, so many of us, our generation have grown up with that um, be a good girl, don't mm. feathers. Um, and I just thought that was such a public display, all lined up with consent and everything else, that um, it's okay if you disagree with someone and you don't have to pop a smile on your face because everyone else thinks you need to have a smile on your face um, yes. in a situation. So but, yes, many, many conversations and many, many perspectives um, mm. um, on that. Joe, you're a founder these days. What's your superpower as a founder? Um, well, I mean, I guess I would say mindfulness, which is sort of an overarching word for, I guess, what I would describe my faith and spirituality and um you know, the inward, my inner self, my inner world. Uh, so I do have a daily mindfulness practice, which is absolutely critical to my um, sense of overwhelm when there's a lot on the table and who doesn't have a lot on the table when you're a founder. So that ability to, you know, direct my attention to the minuscule and to just go, okay, this, 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 one after the other, very important. But I guess more broadly, um, it's a, it's a practice around believing that uh, everything will be okay no matter what happens. So a deep faith around that and knowing that if I meet things with curiosity, intention and an openness to what the world, the universe is telling me, um, then then it will be okay. I don't believe uh that like I don't it's not I'm not going to suggest that I am you know perfect in this and of course I have times when I'm really anxious as I said and fearful and struggle but I'm able to meet it with that tool belt with mm -hmm. that toolkit of um curiosity and, and gratitude and, and intention and optimism I suppose again Joe, we skated into this um, a little bit before, but from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? Um, well, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm not, uh, perhaps I'm not well-versed enough in leadership practices to really fully understand what brave feminine leadership means yep. in as much as, like it is a term, right? I made I'm it asking up. You. Oh, I made okay. It it's, I've read it's, it. I've read it elsewhere as well. In yep. you know, in reference to how we might be leaders. Um, so feminine. You know, people interpret it all sorts of different ways. You mm. know, for some people, it's about feminine versus masculine energy. Um, for some yes. people, it's it's um, about you know just broadly more female leaders being in the mm. leadership team. So without mm. putting my lens on it, it's really just when you hear those three words together, brave feminine leadership, does it mean anything? Um, well, what, what it means to me, I suppose, is a leadership that is not driven by ego and power. I guess my, I guess my hesitation in the terminology is that I find feminine masculine as terms and as uh labels more and more i kind of think you know, well they both have let us down right yes. <laughs> so, I love that. yeah i i kind of um i have friends whose children are non-binary and so we've had lots of conversations around what what is it about those labels that just don't work anymore mm -hmm. um and it's because well toxic masculinity 
patriarchy that has let down as many men as it has women and so I guess feminine and masculine I don't necessarily understand really anymore but I suppose if I was to say feminine leadership it would be less about power and and ego and more about compassion and having a a, having a, a a common purpose and and for me, I see my role as a leader of, of broad radio as I've, someone's got to have the vision, right? So that's me. I'm the person who's gone, okay, I'll put my hand up, I'll do it, and I've got the vision. And now it's my job to empower others to join me in that vision. And again, using a metaphor that I love, I'm in a boat and I'm just asking you to jump in this boat with me. And when you're all in this boat together, you'll have that job, you'll have that job, you'll have that job. But we're all kind of heading in this direction together and uh, I'm not the captain of the ship. I'm kind of just the person who went and bought the boat <laughs> and asked you to get in it. <laughs> um, and so I guess it's about really for me, I want to work with the people. Everybody has their skill and their strength and their incredible uniqueness. Again, there's only one of them in the whole of the universe. How can I draw out of them the things that they love, the things that they're really good at, that's going to help us get towards our common purpose. Joe, I hope you've bought a really big boat uh, or a boat <laughs> that's capable of growing um, because we, we are just going to be cheering you on so loudly. Um, I'm, so, I'm so thrilled that Broad Radio exists and I'm so pleased that you listened to that little message to, um, to bring it to life. Thank you so much for joining our conversation, Joe. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. And you've made me think hard about lots of things. So I love that. It's my favourite kind of conversation. I'll go away and I'll, I'll journal about this for the next few weeks. If the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step, come and join us. Come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com. We would love to meet you.